0: Boo! Uh.
1: You will learn that name. You will remember it.
0: And now... The stud is here. Here we go. Hey, y'all. Welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. This is the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now we step back into the ring, back into time, wall to wall, treetop tall in the great smoky mountains of Tennessee is the Tennessee stud, Rod Fuller. Hey, Rod, what's it like living the good life up there?
1: Oh, man, it's great. Great. I can't complain about it at all, Dave. That. And, uh, I like that opening, man, the treetop tall. That's just about ex- describing me exactly, man. That, I know, am kind of treetop tall.
0: Yeah, you are, and so is your son and your grandson.
1: Oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, you're right about that, too. Yeah,
0: when you, when you guys get together, it's like a forest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, so yeah, it gets, listen it gets a little dark <laughs> below us, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we cast a long shadow.
0: Yeah, I'm standing down there going, hey, uh, is it is it what's what's the weather like
1: up there? <laughs> <laughs> oh so, right, so. yeah, it's been a beautiful, Dave. Uh, really, man. Living in the mountains is something else. Uh and we're getting uh, some nice weather now. It's gonna be about eighty degrees today. And uh, we still get a night sometimes in the 40s, even into the 30s. But uh, that's going to be gone soon. Yeah. There won't be any more of those. And It's just beautiful, man. It's a great place to live.
0: Oh, no doubt. So, listen, when it gets, it gets a little cool at night like that, that's when I sleep the best. I don't know about you.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's good. It's a good thing, man. Uh, just leave. I'm going to be starting to leave the windows open here pretty soon.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. So listen, this stud cast number 294 run has my favorite title so far of the 293 before it. This one is called treason for no reason. So it must be about the southeastern Knoxville territory.
1: Well, yeah, Dave, uh, that's part of it. But, uh, you know, can't leave out Southeastern Gulf Coast because it's going to be in this particular stud cast making kind of a big comeback. Uh So most fans know at this point something about what happened in the Knoxville War 43 years ago in 1979. And uh, obviously it led to the temporary closing of what was once the best small territory uh, maybe in the history of professional wrestling. So the Knoxville War is the story basically of how five of my really trusted friends and employees, guys had been working with me and for me for years, uh, with their greed, uh, managed to kill five years of hard work and, and the pure magic for the wrestling fans hmm. in that part of the country there. Uh, and, and where I am now, basically in the Eastern side of Tennessee, up into Kentucky, uh, they kind of uh, brought an end to what, would, what had been a great run. Mm. So we've touched upon the war several times in the last few studcasts, but today we're going to spend more time than we have been. We're going to take a, a much deeper look into this very sad history. i got no other explanation for it other than a word. Uh, that's a good description of a sad story. Mm. So we're going to discover uh, more why this action by the Knoxville Five truly was uh, as I named this one, treason. In my opinion, for no reason.
0: Treason for no reason. All right. So it, it really sounds like this stud tech cast is going to be a very serious one. So maybe we should get right into it. Where exactly are we going to be riding in this one to get started?
1: Well, we're going to begin in southeastern Knoxville. Uh, we'll be discussing what was happening behind the scenes during uh, basically the last seven events. We're down to seven events seven weeks away from where the war actually began. So we're going to begin uh, uh, with the next Knoxville card. Uh, We'll be talking about the card of April 20th, 1979, which is pretty close to almost exactly 43 years from where we are now. Uh, We'll be talking about the TV that promoted that card. We'll talk about the results of the card and the attendance for it. And, uh, and we're still going to visit uh, a now rising, man, uh, southeastern Gulf Coast territory. Hawks there, uh, lots going on there. Uh, we'll be talking about the Mobile card of uh, April 18th, that same week in 1979. Uh, that card had a cage match in it for the first time ever. It had a tag match involving myself and my cousin, uh, and we were against the Hulk and the Gladiator, managed by Billy Spears. And uh, as always, Billy Spears got another surprise up his sleeve in this one. So we'll discuss the TV for the card, that great card, and uh, the results of the matches and the attendances in all three of the major markets. All three of those markets are going to be getting the same card. And uh, and I had a lot of great response, man, from the last studcast learning tree. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, we're going to have time for another one today, Dave.
0: Well, I got to say, stud, we're busting out of the chute today for sure, like a roping horse chasing a calf. So tell us about this Knoxville treason for no reason.
1: Well, after 43 years, man, I got to admit, I still don't know the reason for the treason, to be honest with uh, you. Uh, so, but let's begin today's dissection of the Knoxville war with the man I feel that was undoubtedly. Uh, most responsible for for what happened there, and that was Bob Roop. And uh, here's the first reason why I think uh, this is true, that Bob Roop is the guy. Uh, Roop had been in the territory uh, by far the shortest period of time of any of the other four rushers involved in the war. Uh, he had not been there for even a year. Uh, it's just so everybody knows the players, let's talk about the other four. Uh, Ron Wright was involved in this. He had been with Southeastern since basically the day I started. When I went there in 1974, he was wrestling there, and he wrestled for me right straight on. Uh, Ronnie Garvin and Bob Orton Jr., two of the others, they had been there for years, uh, you know, close to three years. And then uh, Larry Simon, the great Malenko, he had been there for more than a year. So, you know, Roop was, you know, hadn't been there long. He really didn't know what was going on. I don't know uh, if he had some distrust. I don't know what the heck his reason was. But, uh, you know, the second reason, though, I think for Roop's uh, being, uh, was his very dangerous history that he had of trying to do the same thing in Roy Shire, San Francisco territory in 1970, 1977, which is two years before he tried it with me. And, uh, and if I'd only been aware of that fact in 1978 when I brought Roop into the territory, I'm sure there would have never been a Knoxville war at all. I would have never brought him in, and uh, I don't think there would have ever been a war. So it would have changed everything, especially in the southeastern Knoxville territory that basically died because of the war. And uh, had the war not started, southeastern Knoxville would have undoubtedly continued its growth and that growth would have probably have led to a huge expansion man uh, uh, in 1980 uh, I think uh, Nick Gulas was going out of business uh, and uh, I think uh, we were in a position to buy him out and uh, so in 1980 uh, Nick Gulas uh, was finished as a wrestling promoter and his business was basically dead and if uh, if the Knoxville war hadn't happened we would have bought his entire territory. We bought from him the northern part of Alabama in 1980, but we would have probably bought the whole thing if we hadn't had this Knoxville War. Uh, We would have been doing great in uh, Knoxville still. Uh, We would have picked up Nashville. We would have picked up Chattanooga. We'd have picked up most of the rest of the state of Tennessee. And uh, when you combined all that with Knoxville and you added the Gulf Coast to it, it would have been one of the largest and strongest territories in the world.
0: Oh, no, no, no doubt at all. I can see where all of that could have happened. Southeastern could have possibly dominated the sport, especially in the southern U.S. So so back to Bob Roop. Remind us again how how did he get to be the booker for Southeastern Knoxville?
1: Okay, so you know, he came into the Knoxville territory in the early uh, early summer of 1978, and uh, he he had I had history with him. He had been a friend of mine uh, from way back in the snake pit days and during my first four years in Florida territory before I came to Knoxville. So when Roop arrived in Knoxville, he was working hard. He was getting over, and, uh, you know, he was mentioned to me by a few guys that he had uh, some booking experience, but, uh, wow, I wish somebody had told me how he handled that booking experience and the opportunity they had, uh, it would have really changed everything. So I was in uh, you know, 1978, September of 1978. Uh, I had just returned home to Knoxville after booking and wrestling in, uh, down there in the Southern Territory, in the Gulf Coast Territory. I actually booking and wrestling in both territories. And I sent my brother Robert South to take my place. I was basically burned out, Dave, at that point from overseeing and handling all the business in two territories and wrestling back and forth in both of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. So Rube got the job and he seemed to be very happy with it. Uh, It was an instant boost in his pay and and obviously I showed my confidence in him by making him the booker in uh, Southeastern Knoxville.
0: Okay. So to me, Ron, that really doesn't seem like a reason for treason it seems like things in Knoxville went well for Roop as Booker from September 1978 until the last couple of events and uh, events in the Coliseum. So was April of 1979, the first things that began to look a little strange with the booking? Was that when the first things were happening?
1: Yes, it was Dave. I mean, I'm, I meant, I first mentioned noticing something odd about Roop's booking a few stud casts back, uh, and uh, he dropped his cards, uh, you know, from six matches to five for no reason that I could see. And uh, maybe you remember us talking about it. And I brought it up to him and he went mm-hmm. back to the six match card mm-hmm. until the card in the, in the last stud cast. Uh, The card of April 13th, to be exact, 1979, the last card before we're, we got to this one that we'll be talking about today, uh, had several other things on it. That caught my attention. Uh, And other than the five matches, it only had five matches on it. Uh, It had a two-referee Southeastern Tag Championship match with two teams uh, wrestling against each other that had uh, only wrestled against each other for one time before. So, uh, and that was two weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, pretty ridiculous to have two referees in the, in the second time a team wrestles itself and even more ridiculous than that, it was going to be the last time those two teams ever wrestled each other. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, you know, that's crazy. So, uh, you know, uh, so then, uh, then just as strange was the fact that the hottest babyface in the territory, Crusher Blackwell, and. Uh, who was at this point known as the Canadian Bumblebee also, mm-hmm. was not even on the TV show that promoted it at all. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then, let's push it a little further, he was dropped from the main event down to the second match on the card. Now, that meant – that was absolutely no sense at all. I mean, why would you do that? You got a great little star that's really gotten over, and now he just kind of – Shift him to the bottom of the card.
0: Okay. You just called a 450 pounder little star. I was, I was was thinking this is the biggest man you got. And maybe even fan wise as well. So why, why would a booker do something adverse as that on a card? I mean, and and not feel like he was jeopardizing his job. I don't, I don't get how he thought that was going to be good for the company in any fashion.
1: Well, you know, that's why we're talking about this today like we are. So let's just look back on what was to come, you know, and I can think of no reason other than the greed for the five of these guys wanting to steal what I and so many of these other hardworking wrestlers had worked to build. And if they had a problem with me, everybody knew I was easy to talk to and I was willing to work with people. And uh, why didn't these guys just come to me, especially Root, who was in the position of control? And I still to this day have no idea when their plan to take over Southeastern began. I don't know exactly where it started, what date it was or anything to, even close. Uh, this time frame, however, would have been a really good one to start their move. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if they were going to do it, uh, what was going on at this exact time that we're talking about today Would have been a good time. Uh, Bob Bob Root and uh, whoever else might have been involved at the time. I don't even know how these guys came on board and to get on board with him when that started. But uh, whoever was involved with him, they had not been uh, on the Knoxville card or even in that territory uh, Uh for three weeks. You know, Uh, I was committed, basically. Uh, I wasn't there at all for that for three week period of time here. This was just the beginning of the stretch. Me mm-hmm. not being there, mm-hmm. I was committed to the Gulf Coast territory. But I had to be because there was a drop in the business there, and uh, it was due to the loss of talent to the Memphis territory. And uh, so everybody in Knoxville, and especially these guys involved in this this uh, <laughs> this treason here, mm-hmm. uh, they knew they knew that I, I wouldn't. I would probably have no idea of uh, what was going on in Knoxville because I wasn't able to come home. I was there steady. And however, they were not aware of my conversations with Les. And that might have been the only thing that uh, kept uh, kept me involved at all to kind of know kind of what was happening because Les and I were talking about it.
0: Wow. I mean, it's to, to me, it's crazy that Roop or, or whoever thought, hey, let's let's depress the product. And see if they'll just let it go I mean to me absolutely diabolical So it sounds like Really due to Roop's booking They were I think Maybe intentionally hurting the business I mean is that where you were on that
1: (laughs) I think Diabolical is the perfect word I mean uh, I think you know that there's a great possibility that's exactly what they were doing. And, and if, if you were in Roop's shoes and in charge of most of, of what was happening in Knoxville territory at that point, mm-hmm. and you wanted to take over that company, wouldn't you want to slow business profit down? Wouldn't you uh, mm-hmm. want to change business from being very good to being a loser? Because yeah. you're getting ready to start competing against that company. Right. So uh, it would not been it would not give a, give you a better chance to win a war for a company than uh, the situation that was there in his face right then.
0: Wow. I mean, uh, it, it, it never looked at it that way. So I mean, it's getting crazy, Ron. So why don't we take a close look at this week's card in Knoxville on Friday, April twentieth of seventy nine, like you did last week and see if you notice anything about it that makes no sense for a
1: booker to do. That's a great idea, man. I mean, you know, uh, we'll, we'll go through it. Let's just cover the card and uh-huh. then I'll break it down with, uh, any questions that I, I get, uh, as we, uh, talk about the card. All right. So this card, uh, opened up with three Bayliner boat tournament matches. The first one had Ken Lucas versus the Inferno, the second boat match. Was Crusher Blackwell, second match versus Buzz Sawyer. The third was Mr. Fuji, presented by Ron Wright. Uh, you know, he no longer was managed. He was presented by Ron Wright versus the Hawaiian Dean Ho. Uh, the next match was a special tag match that could only be won by submission. Uh, somebody had to submit. Had to say they gave up, and the great Malenko and Bob Orton Jr. were going to be against Kevin Sullivan and a returning Dick Slater who had been gone for about eight weeks. The main event was a loser getting tarred and feathered. Ronnie Garvin versus Bob (laughs) Roop.
0: Okay, so did you ever do this before, Ron?
1: I mean, before the war ever happened? I, you know, I had no idea there was going to be a war until a war, <laughs> you know, until a week before it happened. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is all strange to me, but uh, I think this makes a lot of sense to kind of break it down. So listeners kind of need to bear in mind. I wasn't in Knoxville for this card uh, or the next three cards, uh, but I was wrestling in the southeastern Gulf Coast. And I said in the last podcast, I'd never until two weeks earlier. Taking a close look at any of the last seven Knoxville cards in April or May of 1979, before the war started. And the, really, the only reason it happened that I looked at these seven cards uh, real closely is because I was doing my stud research that I do for each one of these shows. And I got to looking at these last seven cards before the war started, and it like wow, well, it just hit me like wow, how come I? But I the reason I didn't notice it is because I wasn't there. So this April twentieth, nineteen seventy nine card, the one I just announced, was to me after looking closely at it, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, again, it had only five matches on it. It had the hottest new baby face in the territory, Cluster Blackwell. After not even being on the TV show the week before, (laughs) he's on the second match again, nowhere near the top of the card. And in fact, he never got closer than three matches from the top of the card again. (laughs) He was there. So, you know, I had Dick Slater as another example, uh, Returning after eight weeks after the night he left, when Bob Roop attacked him from behind and sent him to the hospital, instead of bringing Slater back with the video of that match, show the video of what happened two months earlier, how Slater got hurt, and how he got taken to the hospital. Uh, you know, uh, why wouldn't Slater, Why would not Roop bring, put him back, bring him back against Bob Roop? Uh, show the video. And say, look. Uh, Slater's coming back. He's going to wrestle Bob Roop, uh, the guy who hurt him. Uh, You know, uh, Mm -hmm. instead, Mm -hmm. he puts Slater in a tag match that's meaningless. I mean, it makes no reason at all. Then listen to this one, man. It had Bob Roop, who, in my opinion, should have been in the ring with Slater, Mm -hmm. going up against Ronnie Garvin. (laughs) It was the (laughs) very first time ever since Roop came to Southeastern in almost a year that he had ever wrestled Ronnie Garvin
0: Okay.
1: and get this. And the first time they wrestle, it's a tar and feather match. I mean, <laughs> I never even booked a tar and feather match in my entire career with anybody in my life. I never even saw one of these things. So much less booked for no reason. Uh, <laughs> when it was the first time these two guys were ever in the ring together. It's hard for me to believe that a card this bad could not have been booked any other way than on purpose. Okay,
0: so all of a sudden a tar and feather match and there's no build up to anything like that. There there's no build up between Garvin and Roop and eventually the big clash with the tar and the, so nothing like that. That's that, that to me that's crazy. I thought last week's Knoxville card was a little bit strange. Now that you've mentioned it, this card makes me think it was intended to be a loser at the box office. So what about the TV promoting it? What was, what was that like the
1: buildup? Well, this was going to be the second card in a row that failed at the box office. Last week's card failed miserably at the box office. And, uh, you know, it's going to be the the, only the second one to do that. And since there was no return match, uh, this is another part of this. There wasn't a return match of any type on the card from the night before which meant last week's card didn't have w- one match that was even being returned. Uh, and uh, this TV show was one of the weakest in years. Uh, it had absolutely no video from the night before. That's the first time that had happened in years, man, since we have been doing the show. Yeah. They didn't show any matches, and they had no return match. So the TV show promoting the card – uh, this uh, this TV show for this card that we just talked about had two single matches. It had a tag match and it had a TV championship match between Kevin Sullivan and the new TV champ, who was the new TV champion, versus Bob Roop, the former champion. Uh, Roop had forfeited the TV trophy five weeks earlier when the Canadian Bumblebee made his first introduction with the mask on. Uh, he, he he went uh, to the ring. Stood there, and uh, Bob Roop was going to be wrestling Kevin Sullivan for the title. Roop was the champion. Roop jumped out of the ring and went to the dressing room. Got counted out, and Kevin Sullivan won the championship from him uh, by a forfeit, basically. You know, So uh, so now this one, they're going to have this t- championship match to, to see who's going to get that title, uh, if uh, Roop can win it back. Uh, at least this time, you know, Les said uh, – they actually had a match. I mean, the last time Roop left the ring and they got counted out, there was not even a match. So at least this time they had a match. Roop won the TV championship back. Uh, the personality profile on this TV was with Dick Slater. It was talking about his trip to Japan, which is after he got well. He went to Japan. He spent six weeks in Japan before he came back here. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a second of the of the available video It was taken eight weeks earlier that showed Bob Roop hurting him and sending him to the hospital. It was shown on the profile, no mention of it, nothing at all. And again, for the second week in a row, there was no Crusher Blackwell or the Canadian Bumblebee on TV at all. Okay. Two weeks in a row, he had not been seen.
0: Wow. Okay. And maybe you're going to address this at some point and, and and tell me if you are and and I'll move on, but at, did you, did you sit down him and, and just ask him, have you, are you incompetent or anything like that between you and Rupert, Or was it is that coming?
1: Oh yeah. It's coming. <laughs> we're we're going to have some conversations, you know, okay. and, uh, yeah. we
0: definitely are.
1: God. I mean, it's like,
0: dude, what are you doing to the product? I mean, that was the entire TV show. And that's, that's unbelievable. So it's got to be the worst TV show produced by Southeastern. On the WBIR TV station, which you've ranted about for years now, the relationship you built with that TV station. So I bet not since 1975 at the old station on the mountain would uh, warp your head off hold, commentator. Uh, had there ever
1: been a TV that bad? <laughs> well, that's a very good description of <laughs> how bad it was, Dave. Okay. I mean, when you watched that big Jim Hiss. Stuff. When I first got there from that TV, it was truly, truly remarkably terrible. So, uh, you know, uh, so Les was upset, you know, about all this. He he sees it. And uh, when he and I talked about it, that, you know, basically the same afternoon, I'm down there on the Gulf Coast TV. uh, And uh, he's up in Knoxville. But afterward, he calls me and we talk about what's going on in Knoxville. And, uh, And I couldn't just head home. I was booked in five cities that upcoming week with me and my partner, Roy Lee Welch, against the Hulk and the Gladiator, managed by Spears. So I got Roop on the phone. I had a long conversation with him uh, the next day. And it was a Sunday. I was booked in Pensacola that night. So uh, And as I was in Pensacola, I called him long distance. We talked about everything I heard that had happened on Friday and Saturday. And he apologized. Saying he had a personal problem the week before and that he had allowed it to affect his job and it would never, he promised, ever happen again. And, uh, you know, looking back, you know, I have a good idea now uh what his real problem was. <laughs> he, mm. he, he wasn't having a problem. I was having a problem and I didn't know it. Oh,
0: OK. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll take that. For now anyway. All right. So what happened the next Friday night on the April 20th, 1979 card after this TV that we just discussed?
1: Well, Ken Lucas uh, won his first Bayliner Boat Tournament a match over the Inferno. Uh, Crusher Blackwell beat Buzz Sawyer. Great match, by the way, uh, from what I heard. Les told me it was really a great match. Uh, in the submission-only match, the great Malenko made Kevin Sullivan give up in his Russian sickle hole, while Bob Orton Jr. kind of kept Dick Slater out of the ring and on the floor until uh, Malenko could get the submission. Uh, in the tar and feather match, Bob Root was the one embarrassed when Garvin beat him. Uh, Garvin poured honey from what Les says all over him and a bag of feathers, uh, you know, uh, all over him from head to toe. And, uh, and thank goodness... I asked Les, I said, did they do that in the ring, man, (laughs) ruin one of our mats? And he said, no, Ron, they put an old mat on the ring before (laughs) they did the tar and feathering. So (laughs) the mat was saved, at least. So this card was a rare event, man. Uh, It was in the Jacobs building at Chilhowey Park Mm -hmm. instead of the Coliseum. At this point, we were almost always in the Coliseum. And uh, thank goodness it kind of was in the Chilhowey Park. Because, uh, you know, I have a feeling, you know, that that old building had maybe seen a tar and feather match before, <laughs> before I got there, but uh, they'd never seen one until this one.
0: <laughs> All right. So how was attendance? How did you do on that?
1: It was 3,100, man. It was the smallest Whoa. Southeastern crowd in more than two years. Wow. Uh, the only one smaller was it rained one of the nights in the Chile park amphitheater outside. Yeah. And uh, we were a little below 3000 people. And those people that came that night said in a rainstorm for the entire night. Wow. So it was the smallest crowd, like I said, in two years.
0: Okay. i tell you what, this has been an extremely interesting first half of this Studcast. So much intrigue going on behind the scenes with one of the worst cards and TV shows in southeastern Knoxville, maybe in years or maybe in history. So when we come back, we'll take a break. Now, when we come back, we're going to be riding along the beach in the Gulf Coast and in a totally different environment. This stud cast will continue in a moment. Okay, StudCast fans, on the break, let's talk about episode number four of Ask the Stud. It's the question and answer show from you and the Stud, featured exclusively on YouTube, and that's happening very soon. Is it this Saturday,
1: Stud? Yeah, and I appreciate being on here today and having a little opportunity. It sure is. It's going to be uh, premiering on the YouTube, Southeastern Rewind channel. This Saturday, April fifteenth, and uh, wow, Dave, uh, this is another great one, man. Uh, I have already recorded it, and uh, really, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Uh, these programs are so good, and we have such knowledgeable fans. It's truly, really, it's truly amazing, uh, and uh, these have been getting great numbers. And uh, yeah, so fans, it's uh, it'll probably be somewhere around noon. Uh, on this Saturday, April the 15th, mm-hmm. uh, that you'll be able to hear. Asked us uh, number four. These are all exclusively only on the YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. It's the only place you're going to find them. And uh, this is another great one. Wow. Just uh, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I look forward to uh, uh, getting a lot of response and then hearing from uh, fans out there what you think of them. And uh, thank you very much for your support.
0: Hey, one of the cool things to do on YouTube is to set notifications. And then when that show is delivered, when it's up on YouTube, you'll know it first. You'll be one of the first to hear it. So set your notifications up on YouTube. So everything the stud does on YouTube, you'll be one of the first to know. Hey, check it out this Saturday. Ask the stud episode number four featuring the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller and you. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back in another Studcast episode number 294, and this is one to hang on to. Okay, so we'll get into the second half, and the question is, Ron, maybe it is a little more leisure as we put our toes in the sand or close to it. So where are we riding down into the southeastern Gulf Coast?
1: Well, we're going to give everybody the card man, uh, in the Gulf Coast territory for Mobile on Wednesday night, April the 18th, which is just two days before that Tennessee card that we just talked about. Uh, this one had six matches, not five. Uh, it opened up with Greg Peterson against Eddie Sullivan. Uh, who was managed by Billy Spears, and obviously he was back in a single match because he had lost his tag champion in the last uh, match in Mobile, in which uh, they had gotten beat, and uh, Rip Tyler had gotten beat, and so uh, uh, Eddie Sullivan's back to being a single wrestler again. Armand Hussein wrestled Ben Alexander in the second match on the card. Uh, Then Herb Calvert uh, faced off against uh, any fan from the crowd, wanted him to challenge one of those normal challenge matches that he'd been doing. And after that, he was going to wrestle uh, punk rock Wayne Ferris, who is the future honky-tonk man. Uh, Ricky Fields and Terry Latham, the new Southeastern Tag Champions, they weren't defending their belts on this card. They had just won them the Wednesday before, but they were taking on a team that weighed a combined weight of 600 pounds. Almost 200 pounds heavier than they were, basically, those two guys. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, Alpha and Sika, the Samoans, uh, who were family members. They're actual family members of The Rock. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the guy of a future WWF fame, man. Yeah. So, the next match was a special challenge tag match. It was with Roy Lee Welch and myself against the Hulk and the Gladiator, managed by Billy Spears. The main event was for the Southeastern Championship inside a steel cage with the loser leaving Southeastern and the winner becoming or staying the champion, depending on who won. Dr. D. David Schultz was defending against Norvell Austin. All
0: right, that's a pretty good card right there. Two great matches and an extremely important cage match that was going to see another star exit from Southeastern Gulf Coast. All right, so... What was this Gulf Coast TV show like?
1: Well, it was certainly a lot better than the pitiful Knoxville TV show. I can easily say that. I mean, it, it opened up with uh, me and Roy Lee Welch at the set with Charlie Platt. We watched the video of the single match from Mobile four days earlier between the Hulk and I. And, uh, and in this match, it's going to show Billy Spears uh, coming in and trying to save the Hulk. I had him in the inside toehold. He came in and stomped me off, and then uh, I got up. I got my hands on Spears. Uh, all of a sudden, the Gladiator came from uh, the dressing room, and uh, and uh, and once he came in the ring, I started working on him, and uh, and then uh, finally, a Hulk got up. He stopped me, and uh, wow, well, all three of those boys—the uh, Hulk, uh, Spears, and the Gladiator—were all uh, trouncing me and stomping me pretty good, and then uh, Royley. Uh, who nobody we knew was in the building came from the dressing room and he, he kind of saved me, man. Those guys thought they had done their job and they got <laughs> out of there. Uh, so Roy and I were coming back on this mobile card as partners for the first time in years since I with Roy as partners. We we're going to be against the Hulk and the gladiator managed by Spears. And uh, we were also in the first TV match on this show. And uh, as we were leaving the set, uh, there was a real quick mention of the incident from the week before when uh, roy's father lester had come to the tv show as a guest and was on the personality profile he watched a video of where the hulk had roy bleeding from the mouth and uh and then uh, he ended up getting involved in the last match you know uh, and the last match with me from the last show and uh, he, you know, I had the Hulk on me. I had the gladiator on me. It was kind of the same type of deal as happened in Mobile. But uh, this time, uh, Lester had come come in to help me and ended up, uh, Hulk put him in the bear hug, and he ended up bleeding from the night. So Charlie said, Southeastern officials, you know, because this incident was so violent and uh, he said they had banned any showing of it. You know rather than show that video they were never going to show that video ever uh, again on tv and uh so he wished um wished me and uh, roy luck against spears and his men and we left and went in the ring we got a good win uh, i finished one opponent with the fuller leg lock and same time i was applying the fuller leg lock uh, Roy put his opponent in that old classic, man, the very rarely seen abdominal stretch. <laughs> yeah, and every wrestling fan, old-time fan knows that hold. And uh, basically, uh, I think Roy used it in honor of his father because Lester became famous for that hold. The abdominal stretch was his finish hold.
0: Well, wow, when we were kids, we used to love that. Whoever might be applying the abdominal stretch. And then the bad part was my older brother was going to try it on me every time. And it was like, I'm I'm not, I I don't think I'm going for that anymore. (laughs) Anyway, but, but as kids, that's how it was. Of course, we were also, we were also dropping elbows off the couch, but all right. So that's really a touching way to begin a show, Ron. So who was on, who was on the next segment?
1: Well, Eddie Sullivan was in the next TV match uh he was the only remaining member of spears former tag team champions uh you know tyler his partner had lost the loser leave town match uh, and leave southeastern and in mobile uh, just a few days earlier and uh basically four nights earlier so tyler was gone but spears uh, still accompanied uh, sullivan to the ring Uh, you know he he still had sullivan as one of his men and he was the uh, only remaining member Of that former tag team champions, uh, you know, was uh, Eddie Sullivan. So you would have never known Spears had any regrets of of losing his former tag team champions, you know, uh, of them losing their belt and uh, one of them being gone from Southeastern. He strutted around in the ring with Sullivan just as much as he usually did. And uh, everyone was going to hear why, after Eddie Sullivan won his first singles match in quite a while, why Billy Spears was on this TV's personality profile, which was right after the commercial break. So uh, after the break, uh, when the show returned, Charlie and Billy Spears were sitting uh, in those comfortable personality profile chairs right next to the studio bleachers. We were doing it live. uh, And the bleachers, as always, man, in that studio, you're familiar with that. It was overflowing with fans. The bleachers were packed, and there was fans standing all around the, the bleachers uh spears was smiling man and for this profile like a cheshire cat and you know the hulk the gladiator (laughs) eddie sullivan all of them stood behind him uh and you would have no idea he just lost one of his four men he was he was in a rare mood and uh and that's where charlie began the profile he asked billy concerning he losing one of his men he asked billy right off the bat about how he felt about his loss of one of his four wrestlers And Billy just ignored the question and got right to the point. You know, he said, uh, you know, it was going to be a great day for him and his mama that they were so proud to announce today on this wrestling show, the introduction of wrestling's first and biggest family Mm -hmm. that the studio and, you know, in the studio audience, uh, they hated Billy anyway. So they, they got to booing him right off the bat. And uh, so Spears, Spent a small amount of time then talking about one of the guys standing behind him, one of his men, Eddie Sullivan, and what a star he was. And he spent a little more time touting, touting the greatness of his gladiator, you know. And then, boy, the feces really flowed, I tell you, man, about his uh, gigantic <laughs> oh stock, His future <laughs> NWA world champion, his beautiful home. <laughs> And what about the studio audience was crazy. They were bowing. They were booing so loud. You know, it was, it was really bad. So then he told Charlie, you know, he says, uh, it's just the beginning for him and his mamas. He says, uh, we, got, we have formed a new family. <laughs> he, goes, he says, uh, you know, that losing <laughs> Rip Tyler, he said, that was no loss. He said, actually, it was a blessing. You know, he said, Tyler was a loser, and he was always a loser. (laughs) And he said uh, said to Charlie, now I want to tell everyone why my mama purchased this personality profile today. Because, he says, (laughs) the family that I've got here, three of them, has grown. And he goes, uh, and mama and I have added two more men. (laughs) And they're going to be, he says, the next NWA World Tag Champions. And he, then he demanded <laughs> that everybody in the studio get up on your feet you know, as he was standing up to get ready to introduce him. Get up on your feet, all of you. <laughs> and then kind of like a barker man in the carnival, he raised his voice and he said, I give you the Samoans. <laughs> and I don't think I ever heard that studio boo any loud. And wow. they were just, wow. they were done with, with the spears. So the dressing room door opened, which was on the far side of the studio. And, uh, out came these two massive Samoans, man. Uh, uh, they actually lived in nearby Pensacola and they, and they were dressed to wrestle. They were going to go in the ring immediately following this profile. Uh-huh. And obviously, like I mentioned earlier, they were related uh, to Rocky Johnson and the rock. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and obviously it was alpha and Sika and, uh, and they were somewhat already famous. I mean, Spears didn't say that, but, you know, he, they, he didn't have to make them famous. These these guys were big time good. Yeah. So uh, so Spears, <laughs> as they're walking across the studio, Spears starts digging in his pants pocket, man, for money. And, he, you know, and he's digging his, his, his wads of money out of his pants and uh, so uh, you you could hardly hear any of the rest of the interview because the people were booing so bad through <laughs> the rest of it. And and instead of shaking these guys' hands, he put money into their palms. Right <laughs> here's the <a> big, here's <laughs> yours, and here's <laughs> yours, right. And then the three present family members were behind Spears. they were all clapping their hands, and Spears closing out, screaming, "Long live the family." <laughs>
0: All right listen as loud as he was crowing you have to admit that he had two future hall of famers in the in the Samoans and another one with the future Hulk Hogan as well so i mean that's i mean and the, the these were the early days for these guys so that's pretty amazing all right so remember last week's tv stud when Spears so easily jumped at putting Tyler and Sullivan's future on the line in a loser leaves match. So right then I said, there had to be something going on. And so now obviously I know what he had in mind. He was willing to give up Tyler and Sullivan for the huge Samoan team. I mean, man, Spears was a real jackass, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) he was fun to watch. Right. All right. So who was
1: next? Uh, Oh, you know, uh, so his new team was next, man. They they just went right straight from this profile right into the <laughs> ring, man. And uh, dang, wow, I watched that match. Uh, what an impression they made. I mean, those guys were just out to murder, murder, murder these poor guys they were with. Uh, and they were a devastating team. Those two guys were so physically strong, man, that that I think they actually cost themselves money during their careers because their style was so dangerous. And most wrestlers didn't like to wrestle them at all, you know. And and they end up using they in their matches. They used a lot of power bombs and the versions of the suplex in their matches that you didn't see in other guys' matches. And they were they were really really impressive. Uh, Ricky Fields and Terry Latham, man, they joined Charlie Black to set to commentate on that match, and they were both amazed, man, at what they were seeing, you know. And each one of these Islanders were huge, man, at least three hundred pounds, and they were agile, and quick. They we were kind of like Crusher Blackwell in the southeastern Knoxville territory. Right, they were huge and big yeah. and fast, and <laughs> you know, so and you could almost hear the voice, you hear the fear in Fields and Latham's voice. As the so Samoans opponents were carried from the ring at the end of it, these boys are like, oh, my God, they want to go. Geez, we got to wrestle these guys. So uh, so the last match was the uh, Southeastern champion, Dr. D. David Schultz, and he was getting ready for his loser leaves title match in the cage with the same wrestler that uh, he had been in the ring with for basically about the last six weeks. Uh, he had been married to Norvell Austin, but they were about to get divorced. So uh, this was going to be uh, basically the most important Southeastern match in their careers. So Norvell Austin, he joined Charlie set to watch Schultz. And, and uh, wow, he was full of respect for Schultz, man, as they watched the match. And, and Schultz kind of returned his respect uh, <laughs> by the way he – He intentionally demolished this young wrestler, just punished him horribly. Right. And, uh, you know, so it was the best way to end a great TV show, man. It was serious. And, uh, well, I was with a big command and win.
0: Hey, by the way, no comparison between this TV and the one in Knoxville. That was a pretty good sleeper that you told us about earlier, 43 years ago, by the way, I think the tone was set for some great matches. The following Wednesday night in Mobile, Alabama. So what happened that night, April 18th, 1979?
1: Well, Billy Spears, man, new family. Uh, obviously, they had a busy night. Uh, Eddie Sullivan managed by Billy Spears. He started off the night with a victory over Greg Peterson. Uh, Armand Hussein got another win. Uh, he, he had several good wins uh, over Big Ben Alexander. And then the third match between Punk Rock, Wayne Ferris, and Herb Calvert turned out to be much more than it was expected to be for the fans, and for me, too. (laughs) So Punk Rock went to the ring, and he stood at ringside waiting while Calvert wrestled one of those challengers from the audience for $500. And uh, as Calvert was pinning this guy, punk rock just charged him man he's on top of the guys he's got him pinned and uh, and he stomps herb in the back of the head and uh and the audience challenger he rolled out of the ring and he ran <laughs> it was like oh my god i don't want to get part of this so punk rock man turned to vicious man like i'd never seen him before he actually busted Calvert's eye with his right eye and uh so it was the first time Calvert had bled since he came to Southeastern, which is months ago at this point. So I was watching the match, and uh, and I got I was really very impressed by Calvert because Calvert fought back. I mean, wow. In fact, he opened up Punk Rock, and uh, suddenly, man, the third match was like a main event. The building was on its feet, man. And they both fought out of the ring and all the way back to the dress room. Uh, and f- – Fersa ran into the dress room, and uh, so Calvert went back to the ring. Uh, I think he thought he was going to get there before the referee could count him out, but he didn't. He got there after he had been counted out, so uh, both men got counted out, but Calvert grabbed the announcer's microphone, and he challenged punk rock to come back to the ring, and the crowd exploded. They were ready for more of it. so, Ferris being a, you know, he's getting pretty sharp, man, for a young heel. Uh, he teased the crowd, man, and he came about halfway back to the ring, and then he turned and went back to the dressing room. And then he got more booze than ever. And then Calvert challenged him to another match the following week. So – He got the biggest round, Calvert got the biggest round of applause from the crowd that I'd seen him get since I'd I'd started back down there. Wow. Uh, The match was taped, obviously, for the TV for the next week. That was
0: something very unusual, Stud, especially in just the third of six matches. I'm sure you and Louis Tillette had something in mind for the next
1: week. Are you kidding, Dave? I mean, what would you, <laughs> why would you think that? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, Punk Rock Man was improving fast, and he was ready to move up the card, but we didn't have a good spot for him there. You know, we had a lot of good heels at this point, point. and uh, you know, and and that was just kind of the way business worked. And when you had a good talent, and and he had no place to to put him uh, that to move him up the card. You you helped him find a place to go, man. And uh, so I found punk rock, uh, a a great spot, uh, a much better situation than I had for him, right back in his hometown of Memphis. And uh, we're gonna talk about more about that. We'll talk more about that next uh, cast uh, because there's a good story there. Uh, The next match was the Southeastern Tag Champions. Uh, Fields and Latham in a non-title match against the giant Samoans, man, managed by Billy Spears, and ah, uh, and that match would it it basically set a tone for the future, man. The Samoans won. I just leave it to that, and uh, so the fans after the surprise in the third match were really ready, man, for the next one. So Hulk and the Gladiator and Spears, uh, Uh, Boy, they stood him up just as soon as they came out of the dressing room. That crowd was on their feet and they were booing. And uh, two straight weeks of uh, Welch's bleeding from the mouth on TV at the hands of the Hulk and Spears. And now with uh, all this heat Spears had from forming his family they had seen that on the TV, it made this tag match rock. Uh, It was wild. It, It ended in a double disqualification. Hulk and I fought through the crowd uh, and in the crowd in some places and back to the dressing room, to his dressing room. I went back to the ring, and when I got there, I found the referee was down and Roy was tied in the ropes and he was bleeding and he had spears. He had the gladiator working on him. um, And, uh, you know, and he had the Hulk working. The Hulk, uh, you know, I'm sure would have been working on him too had he been there, you know. And uh, so they ran as soon as they saw me. But they had already done the damage to Roy, and uh, so it was just another match, man, uh, that we taped. That's going to be shown the next Saturday. So steel cage was erected, which that's a that is an event in itself, in a way. Fans watched him put that cage up. It, it really sets the tone for what's about to happen. Uh, this was a long-running feud, man, between Austin, Norvell Austin, and the Southeastern champion, David Schultz. It's finally going to be over, and uh, Schultz retained his belt. And Austin was the latest to leave Southeastern Gulf Coast. Wow.
0: Well, I mean, that really sounds like a huge night for Mobile fans, no doubt. So – there was so much happening beginning with the third match of the night. So what about the attendance in the three major markets with that card?
1: Well, all three cities jumped again, man, as they had the, the week before. Uh, so Montgomery went from thirty five hundred to almost four thousand, thirty nine hundred. Dothan went from thirty seven hundred to four thousand. It got to four thousand again. Mm. And Mobile had its second sellout in the month of April. 1979. Wow. So all three cities, this is a really amazing thing here, Dave. All three of those cities beat Knoxville's attendance for the first time ever.
0: Holy cow. That's hard to believe, Ron. I mean, the Knox, Knoxville could have dropped in attendance that fast while the Gulf Coast territory, not only being a fairly new territory, but a brand new booker, Louis Tolette, had accomplished all of this.
1: Well, what's hard to imagine, uh, Dave, in fact, is uh, Louie did it. Well, if you think about it, he he accomplished this while losing 10 top stars over a two-month period of time. Bob Roop, on the other hand, had taken Knoxville from a steady 5,000 fans per week for almost a year uh, down to 3,100 <laughs> this last week. Wow. So. There was almost a loss of 2,000 fans down uh, to the smallest crowd in two years. So uh, there was obviously something very bad going on there. And, uh, mm. you know, I had no idea what the heck was, was happening. Uh, and if I had only known then what I found out, I'm going to find out six weeks after that, my whole life might have been completely changed, different entirely.
0: Wow. I mean, that's a great thought to end this stud cast on, Ron. We are, are, this is good news. We are going to have a learning tree question today. This one comes from Danny Worley in Topeka, Kansas. He says, I never miss a stud cast. I was wondering if the NWA provided any information to its members, such as yourself, about things going on around the wrestling world back then. Seems to me had Mr. Shires in California reported his Bob Roop problem, it might have dr- dramatically changed your situation about hiring Bob Roop as your booker.
1: Wow. That's a, that's another great question there, man. Uh, uh, Mr. Worley, I think that's Mr. Yeah. Worley is your last name. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's, a. That's not far, the, you know, you're in Kansas there. You're not far away from the old NWA headquarters in St. Louis. And uh, basically, that's kind of what you're asking me a question about. Uh, and your question is a really good one. Uh, the NWA did have a newsletter. It went out to all the members once a month. Sam Mutsey, the president of the NWA for many years, sent it out personally. And I think he did it. Uh, did the letter in a lot of occasions because he had been a sports writer before he became promoter in St. Louis. Hmm. Uh, But there are there are several reasons here, sir, uh, that that I never saw anything in a newsletter to to do with Bob Roop or Roy Shires, the promoter and who was the promoter and the owner in San Francisco. Uh, Roy Shires was like most NWA territory owners. Uh, man, he was a very independent dude. Uh, he was extremely private about his territory, which was not unusual. So were so many other guys that owned territories. And uh, and knowing Roy Shires, and I did know him fairly well, he was not willing, or, or maybe he was even too embarrassed to report. Something like that had ever happened to him, man, having mm. an internal problem like mm. that. Mm. So, you know, uh, that that's one reason I don't think it ended up ever in a newsletter. And as the owner of a territory, uh, some things like information about your booker, you just didn't talk about. You didn't mention it, you know, because, uh, you know, when you hit gold, you hired the right booker. It was like hitting a gold mine. Uh, you kept your mouth shut and you kept that guy as long as possible. So, uh, and, and if you made the wrong decision, well, you didn't want to advertise it and admit it. I hired the wrong guy. I mean, uh, you know, it was, so I, that's, that's another reason, I guess, uh, that, uh, that I didn't find out about it. The hiring the roof was, bare, was really, it was just bad timing for me. I should have done my due diligence, obviously, and my research about what had happened to him since after he left Florida. And uh, where did he go and what kind of job did he do for whoever he worked for and where he went? But uh, I'd never and neither had anybody else hardly in wrestling ever heard of a booker trying to steal a territory. No. And I was at this point totally committed and and buried in my determination to uh, grow my southeastern territory. Uh, I had two of them and I was handling everything for both of them. So I didn't read every newsletter that came from the NWA and even if I had I could have missed the one that had the information that I needed in it. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean I mm-hmm. didn't know what's going to happen to me. Right? Right, right? I had no fear of Bob Roop and what he was all about. So uh so it was amazing how, how you know how few territories ever had a problem with the booker trying to organize his crew to steal a territory i don't know what had ever happened you know the the famous georgia wrestling war of 1972 it was between two owners it had nothing to do with the booker and in fact other than the roy shire's experience i don't think i ever heard of a problem similar to that again to where a booker tries to uh, recruit the guys to uh to take over the business yeah hijack so, yeah. yeah so so it was unfortunate uh all this was unfortunate for me and uh, and it cost me dearly you know uh gosh I, I lost the territory I, I didn't lose it I sold it but I lost it basically and uh but uh, but it made me this whole thing made me a stronger man and it and it taught me a very valuable lesson that uh, that I used in my future companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, uh, nothing, uh, nothing like this ever happened to me again. And, uh, I think it, um, I think it helped me as, as a, as an owner of a company. And, uh, so oh, thanks. Thank you very much, Danny. I think your first name was Danny. That's a great question. And yeah. I hope I've explained it as well to you as you wanted. And, uh, And uh, I want to thank you for your support uh, about uh, enjoying the Stud cast and and I really appreciate it. And uh, wow, what a great question, Dave.
0: Yeah, I think you covered that for Danny, and we appreciate him listening to the Studcast. All right, folks, on Facebook, you know, you can go to Ron Fuller Welch, Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee Stud, on Facebook. Like him and follow him there to become friends with a living legend. Same thing on Twitter. Find him on Twitter, Ron Fuller Welch, and follow him there, too. Check out the website, tnstud.com, tnstud.com. Super Studcaster there. Every Studcast ever done, including this one is going to be there too. And the stud the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs, get your personally autographed copy of Ron's Brutus novel. It's there too. The YouTube channel, Ron's YouTube channel, Southeastern rewind. Don't miss all three. Ask the stud question and answer shows plus more than 20 short rides with the stud. Every stud cast when they're released and a whole lot more. YouTube Southeastern Rewind is the gateway to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It's the stud's tremendous streaming channel where you find everything that is the Tennessee stud. There are now more than 250 hours, 250 hours of classic wrestling entertainment. Old school TV shows from Gulf Coast to Southeastern to Continental to USA Wrestling. It's all there. All in the order of... In which they were recorded. That's how it's meant to be. That's ClassicContinentalWrestling.com... dot plus nineteen chapters of Ron's audio version of his best selling lion novel Brutus. Six stars of the sport. Four superstars of the past. Wendell Cooley, Mongolian Stomper, Dirty White Boy. Documentaries and something new every day. You got to check it out. All this only four ninety nine per month or thirty nine ninety nine per year plus the free one-week free trial, is still available. That's ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It is the best deal in wrestling. All right, we're getting deeper, each stud cast, into your horrible experience in the southeastern Knoxville territory in 1979. I hate to say it, but I find it really fascinating, true wrestling history, hearing it and being a part of it. So I think this is why your stud cast are the most unique and interesting wrestling podcast on the planet. So congratulations, Stud. This, this listenership is growing every week. We can feel it. And a lot of that is so much. Thanks to your comments that show up on Ron's social media. Okay. So where are we riding next week, Ron?
1: We'll oh, be riding man, uh, back into the last week of April, 1979 NWA champion Harley race is going to be returning in just four stud casts from this one. So he's about a month away from being uh, back in the, the uh, southeastern area. Knoxville cards and crowds uh, were not doing well at this point, obviously, as we talked about this one, pretty well as explains it. And uh, oddly enough, uh, one of my conversations with Roop had him telling me that the wrestlers were upset with their money, and it was because someone inside the company was stealing. And when I found out <laughs> that someone was definitely uh, stealing, but it was him trying to steal the company. So uh-huh. anyway, uh, interesting. It'll be an interesting conversation, and we'll look closely at uh, Roop's cards, at the angles, uh, and uh, every week now, uh, to, from now on. Uh, in these next uh, few studcasts, we're going to look at the cards and the angles just to see what made sense and what didn't as part of this takeover plan that was recurring uh, behind my back. And, and I'll break it down and cover all the elements, uh, the TV results and the attendance as well. Uh, then we'll go back to southeastern Gulf Coast. Which man was beginning to get on a roll here, man? And uh, but we're going to lose another star in a loser-leave match. Uh, we'll talk about uh, that next week. And I'll describe the mobile card for Wednesday, April 25th, 1979, the TV that promoted it, the results and the attendances in all three cities. And uh, then we're going to even ride back into Memphis next week for another card there. We'll get a little update on that Memphis territory and, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to another Learning Tree question as well. Uh, I want to just thank everybody, all our listeners out there, man, all these new people that are uh, joining us for the first time. Uh, welcome, and uh, thanks everybody else for your continued support out there. Please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller
0: in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.